Thank you, Pastor Carl. Good morning, church. So I want to welcome you. Welcome to June. Welcome to summer. Welcome to a new summer sermon series that we're calling Love the Other. This summer, over these next few months, June, July, and August, we're going to go on a journey together exploring the depths of love as outlined in Scripture. Very specifically, in a chapter of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There's a lot to be said for this, and there are so many contexts for our word love. So many songs. So many songs. What is love? I know who you are. Some of you are already humming the tune in your heads. Others of you, don't worry about it. Love is one of those words that we have one word for, but the Bible has many. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there are multiple words that are found in the languages of ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek that describe this one word that we get called love. So in trying to wrap our arms around love, and this is the journey we're going to be on for these next few months, I think it's important for us to go through some of those contexts, our word love, and then we're going to get very specific into what does the Bible have to say specifically in this chapter about love. Love. Just a few contexts for you as we get started. The love of a parent to a child. Now that's a very specific, very deep kind of a love, as is the love of, well, being in love. Whether you're teenagers in love, whether you're dating in love, whether you're a husband and wife in love, there is such a specific context to that deep love of affection and even more of a specific context to the love of a husband and a wife. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. Love. I love summertime. Put me on a beach, put me away from the rest of the world, beach umbrella, smell of sunscreen and the roar of the ocean and just peace and quiet and chill. I love that. But yet I also love steaks on the grill. That might be my future later on today. Steaks on the grill. There's a love that I have for steaks on the grill. Give me some of that. Four words, four words. Fenway Park Italian sausages. (laughs) But qualified, the ones outside of the stadium sold by the vendors, not the ones inside of the stadium, if you were ever at Fenway Park. I love that. Food is a common theme. I got to stop myself because I can just keep going. Love of food. I got to bring it back. Love. When you get lost in worship, there's a love of our souls and our very spirit that goes up to God. When you shut the rest of the world out and you don't care who's standing next to you, you're singing. You're an audience of one. There is a love that is there that in some ways we use that same word as I do for Fenway Park. And those are incompatible and yet they're the same word. We love those who mourn who are experiencing painful loss. We stand alongside them in love. The video that you saw 
just a little bit ago. There's a love that's there that exists when we serve others, when we help, when we extend ourselves in service to others. There is a love that's there. And then finally, how about this one? Jesus calls us to love our enemies. Love our enemies and love our children. You see what I'm saying? One word to describe so many different contexts of love. So let's just focus in a little bit and let's get into some of the specifics of 1 Corinthians 13. I'm gonna read to you the first three verses of that chapter. That's where we're gonna camp out today. 1 Corinthians 13, verses one through three. The apostle Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthian church and he speaks these words. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now the verses that follow well, that's part of the journey that we're gonna be on this entire summer, unpacking the context of what's just described in those verses. But if I may, I'm gonna show you those same three verses again, maybe in a little bit of a different language. There's a slide for that. This is Koine, ancient Greek, and I would do a disservice to ancient Greek if I tried to pronounce all the words right now. I'm a little bit rusty but I highlighted the word in yellow that describes specifically the word love as referenced here in 1 Corinthians 13. You can see it, even though you can't pronounce it. That's the word love. So the next slide is gonna show you the specific context of that word. It's agape. Agape love. It's a very specific kind of love. Now, there are a few commentaries that I consulted here as we begin to research this word. And you see this word scattered all throughout the New Testament. It is used very frequently in the New Testament. But it's not necessarily the love that we might think of in all of our cheesy 1980s love songs. So one commentator, Roy Champa, actually, it's funny, Roy Champa is uh, someone that I've known, my family's known. We're family friends reaching back a lot of years, so it's actually kind of fun to reference him uh, in a commentary here. Roy Champa says this, he says, the chapter, this is talking about 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter is primarily about living in Christian community in a way that glorifies God, and that is by learning to treat other members of Christ's body the way that God has treated us. Here it is, self-sacrificing, other-oriented love. That is what has come to be referred to as agape love based on the Greek word used for it here. So what Roy is saying is, okay, we've got the word love, but you all need to understand what type of love this is. This is self-sacrificing other-oriented love, hence our sermon series, Love the Other. One more commentator writes this. I didn't catch this commentator's name, so I apologize. I'm gonna read this definition for you. There's a lot here. I'm gonna read this slowly so you begin to absorb what is love specifically outlined here. Biblical agape love is the love of choice, the love of serving with humility, 
the highest kind of love, the noblest kind of devotion, the love of the will, intentional. It's a conscious choice. And not motivated by superficial appearance, emotional attraction, or sentimental relationship. Agape is not based on pleasant emotions or good feelings that might result from a physical attraction or familial bond. Agape chooses as an act of self-sacrifice to serve the recipient. From all descriptions of agape love, it is clear that true agape love is a sure mark of salvation. So now we're beginning to understand the context here, 1 Corinthians 13. It's all about love. All you need is love. And keep going, you know, 100 love songs deep. Very, very specific, biblical, self-sacrificing, loving the other. You with me? This is our summer journey. Are you with me for that? All right. Which obviously, all of that leads us away from 1 Corinthians and right into the book of Acts. Don't worry, it'll make sense in a little bit. I want to take you through a little bit of a mini journey through the early chapters of the book of Acts. And I'm going to toss a lot of scripture away, so I hope you're taking notes. The book of Acts speaks to some qualities of what happens when the Holy Spirit descends on a person. When a person's life is changed by the power of God. The book of Acts outlines the beginnings of the church and how how this was all started in the first place. So let's go to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. These are some of Jesus' final words to his disciples as he's literally about to ascend up into the heavens. Acts 1.8. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What Jesus is doing here is the disciples have just witnessed his crucifixion, his death. And yet, they're, they're privileged and honored to be part of his resurrection. He's had many resurrection appearances since his crucifixion. And Jesus is telling them, he's like, hang on a second. I know you are, well, he used the word freaked out that I'm leaving. I need to ascend to heaven, but don't worry. He's looking at his disciples and he's commissioning them. So you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Did you know as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, as his disciple, you are not just signing up to be part of a religion. It's not just something that we do for an hour, hour and a half on a Sunday and just sort of go about your days. I never want the gravity of this to be lost on us. When you receive Christ as your Lord, as the Savior of your life, you receive power from the Holy Spirit of God himself. He comes and he dwells within us. We are not God, but his Holy Spirit resides in us and gives us immense power, just as Jesus said it. The same power that raised him from the dead is at work within us. So the disciples hear Jesus say this, and then they watch him ascend into heaven, and then they hang out and they wait, and they wait until the day of Pentecost. And all we need to do is turn the page to Acts chapter 2, And here's what happens. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So you see here, now this is describing a very specific act. This is the birth of the church. And these disciples in the upper room, there's a group of them gathered. They all started speaking in other people's languages. It was a phenomenal act of work of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts continues to outline not just speaking in other tongues, but speaking as we call it, the tongues of angels. Speaking in that spiritual language, the gift of speaking in tongues. It is so prominent that the Apostle Paul uses 1 Corinthians 14, just the next chapter over, to outline what it means to speak in tongues in the context of worship in the church. This is a, a powerful spiritual gift, and it's a demonstration not of any strength of us, but of God's mighty act of saving grace in our lives. Power from the Holy Spirit. Which, of course, leads us right back to 1 Corinthians 13. Let's go to our verse, verse one. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not agape love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. There's a gravity to that. Which of course, if you're still tracking with me, we're gonna keep going in Acts chapter two. The moment of Pentecost happens and this incredible demonstration of the Holy Spirit happens and people hear each other's languages being spoken where they shouldn't be spoken. And this confusion sets in and people think that the apostles and those gathered there are drunk because they're just speaking in these tongues and no one knows what's happening. And in verse 14, Peter stands up. Now remember, Peter, this is get out of the boat and start sinking, Peter. This is I just denied my Lord and Savior three times, Peter, before his crucifixion. That Peter, not the rock of the church just yet, not the first pope just yet, not all of that. And then Acts 2 happens. Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Oh, but you get to read the rest of it on your, on your own. That's an after church thing as you're reading through your Bibles, go through what Peter steps up and speaks to. But here's in short. Peter, filled with the power that Jesus had promised him, filled with the Holy Spirit, gets up and addresses the crowd and he speaks history of the Jewish people in a way they've never heard it before. He proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly, like Peter had never preached before. In a way, it's the spiritual gift of prophecy that Peter unleashes and thousands are added to the number of the church that day. There is power, Holy Spirit-given power that happens when a person comes to faith in Christ. And there are those with which the gift of prophecy is given. To prophesy means not just to tell the future events. To prophesy means to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, to preach the name of Christ. One thing that helps is an understanding of God's word. There are people over the 2000 year history of the church that have devoted their entire lives to the study of this book. Hopefully that's all of us, right? Can I have an amen? 
that should be all of us devoted to the study of this book and God's word and the truth that's there, but there are those that make their vocations of it. Seminaries exist and have existed for many hundreds of years. People will study and pick apart words in this. There's an entire field of study of source textual criticism and going back into the original manuscripts that is, well, I won't go too far down those roads. Point is this, there are those that devote their entire lives to trying to figure out every single possible mystery that exists in the world of faith and the Bible. Hopefully it's designed to build our faith, faith to move mountains as Jesus said, right? You have a faith as small as a mustard seed and you can move mountains. Hopefully you're understanding me. There is power in his name. There is power that is unleashed when the Holy Spirit gets hold of your life. And when you devote your life to studying, understanding, and living this book, which of course leads us to verse two of 1 Corinthians 13. If I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge here, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. So wait a minute, I can have Christ residing in me. I can speak prophetically and proclaim Christ to anyone that will hear. I can devote my entire life to the study of the book. I can have all the right theology. Hey everyone, I got it all figured out. I've got my proper theology all set. And I have faith to move mountains, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. You understand, you see where this is going. We have one more to go here, which of course, we're gonna continue on our study of Acts. In Acts two, three, four, five, and six, you see the formation, the beginning formation of the church. And one of the earliest disciples of Christ in the church era is a gentleman named Stephen. And Stephen is one who devoted his entire life to Christ. He started proclaiming and prophesying, just like we talked about, the power of the Holy Spirit, and it got him in trouble. It got him in trouble with the Jewish ruling authorities of that day, so they bring him in for, well, I guess you could say a, a hearing or a trial. They bring him on in. In Acts chapter 7, I, want, I implore you to read that in its entirety. What he does is he does something very similar to what Peter does. In Acts chapter two, he starts proclaiming Christ. He starts teaching the council of the history of the Jewish people. And he does so weaving in the gospel every chance he gets, he's fully devoted to his faith. And it gets him more than in trouble. It gets him killed. The end of Acts chapter seven, starting in verse 54, this is what we read. Now, when they, being the Jewish ruling council, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, this is Stephen, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But when they cried out, with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Hold on a second. Did you see the picture of that? You have the, the Jewish ruling council, supposed to be the wisest of the wise, a 
upon hearing Stephen describe this, what he's seeing unfolding in heaven. Did you catch that? This is what they do. They, you know, when you don't want to hear something, you block your ears and go la, 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 la. That's, that's what they're doing. They stop their ears. They say, we don't want to hear this. And they rush at him. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. Most likely what that means is they put him in a pit and they each took rocks, some small, some pretty big, and they just started pelting him with rocks until he was dead. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, who would later become the apostle Paul, who would later go on to write much of the New Testament. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, meaning he died. Stephen was the first Christian martyr. And we honor his life, rightly so. This is outlined in the Bible. And it serves as an example to us what it means to not shrink back in persecution of our own faith. This is someone who is so sold out in his faith, he was ready to go to his death to defend the faith and to proclaim Christ up until his last. And he did. He didn't necessarily go and get burned at the stake, but he was stoned to death. And Saul was there. Our good friend, the apostle Paul, he was there giving his supervision to it. Now, later on, I said Paul would go on to write so much of the New Testament. Just a little couple of verses here from Philippians chapter three. It gives us a little bit of a window into who Paul was. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Which of course leads us to verse three. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. In other words, if I could take this life that I live, my former life and, that I cast away and I set it aside and I throw it away and give all that I have and follow the commands of Christ and give all that I have to the poor and serve the least of these and do everything I know I'm supposed to do. If I live my faith even to my last breath and persecuted for my faith even to the point of being stoned to death or, or burned, I don't have agape love, then I gain nothing. So let's piece it all together real quick, shall we? Those three verses again, I just want you to focus on the yellow here as I put the next slide up. These are powerful demonstrations of God's Holy Spirit and evidence that, the, that God resides in you. You can speak in tongues of men and of angels. You can do Amazing signs and wonders. You can proclaim Jesus to anyone that'll hear. You can prophesy. You can understand every single mystery that's contained in here. You devote your life to having right theology. You can have it all down. Have faith that moves mountains. 
Give up your life even to the point of death. But then, flip over to this next slide. But then, if I have not agape love, if I have not agape love, then I'm just a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. I am nothing and I gain nothing. Now that's a difficult teaching for us, church. And I need us, at the very beginning of what we affectionately call the summer of love, I need us to understand the gravity of this. Because I believe that without agape love at work within us, Christianity is just another religion. I believe that's what the Apostle Paul is teaching here. So it's pretty important that we understand not just what agape love is, the definition of it, but how are we to live it out? Well, I'm glad you asked. This partly, this is the journey we're on this summer. But here are a few practical words for us as the church as we try to gain a different understanding of this one word, love and how we can live this out specifically. So let's, let's go here. How can we live this out? First, you must be born anew. If you are to live agape love the way that God has intended us, you've heard me speak this many times today, the Holy Spirit of God needs to reside in you. You need to submit your life under the Lordship of Christ. Make him the Lord, the savior of your life. Without that, then we really can't, that's, there's no other starting point other than this. So church, maybe you've been attending church for a long time. Maybe you're watching, worshiping with us online. You've been attending church for a long time, but you've never allowed the love of God to come into your life. By the way, parenthetically, God so loved the world. That's, check the Greek out. That's the word Agape. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you've heard those words before but have never accepted, never realized in your own spirit the depth of God's love, there's no time like the present to become born anew, to receive the Holy Spirit as we've talked about today. We'll get to that in a minute. That's our starting point. But from there, well, we're gonna go back to Acts again. How do we live this out? Well, you gotta go to Acts 2.42. They, being the disciples, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking bread and to prayers. This is a simplified form of what it means to be a disciple. So how do we live out agape love? We need to take seriously the calling of being his adopted son, his adopted daughter to live the commands of scripture. And you can't live the commands of scripture unless you know the commands of scripture. Devote yourself to the teachings. Devote yourself to the fellowship. This fellowship. If you're within driving distance and you're worshiping with us online, it's time to come back. Come to church. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, which we'll do that together in a moment. And they devoted themselves to the prayers. There's a lot more to it than just those things. 
How do we live out agape love? You must be born anew and you must take seriously what it means to be the son, the daughter of the most high king. Now the next few are gonna sound a little bit repetitive and it's that way on purpose. What must we do to live out agape love? You must open your eyes to the world around you. This is a message to, to us, church. I simply know too many Christians who prefer to, the world around us, talk about love the other. We prefer to just keep our eyes closed and just pretend that the rest of the world doesn't actually exist. And we draw ourselves so far inward that we forget the calling of God to love others. Yes, love others means love your spouse, love your children, love your brothers and sisters here, but it's so much more than just those things. Agape love, self-sacrificial love for others. Kind of hard to do that unless we understand that there is a bigger world around us than just us. Not just open our eyes to that, but engage with the world. We must engage with the world with the boldness of the Holy Spirit. And I wanna be careful with this because it doesn't mean to adopt the world as our own, to be in the world and yet not of the world is the nuance here, right? We must engage with our world to simply deny that it exists or to, to, to sit or stand in judgment of that world instead of engaging with it is not gonna do anybody any good, nor is that living out agape love. I'll say this again, you know, if you know me well enough, you, this is one of my themes. You have the Holy Spirit of God residing in you. What are you afraid of? Church, we have the Holy Spirit of God at work within us. The same power that Jesus talked about. That's not just reserved for Peter or the apostles. That's us. That's 2,000 years of the Holy Spirit being unleashed on humanity. What are we afraid of? Let's engage with the world around us and do so with the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's kind of hard to do all that unless we open our hearts as well. We need to open our hearts with compassion. It's kind of hard to love without compassion. And I've known too many people that sort of hide behind, well, I'm just not a compassionate person. It's not in my wiring. Well, that's okay. You get the Holy Spirit at your side. That changes everything. We need to engage the world around us with compassion, agape love. Less pride, more humility. It's another way we can live this out. Less pride and more humility. Now, there, I know there are those of you here who are thinking, yes, preach it, Pastor Mike. The person sitting next to me needs to hear this one. The person sitting in front of me needs to hear this one. I'm so glad you're talking about this because others that have, they're so focused on pride, they, they're not living out the commands of scripture. Thank you for preaching this. Well, if you're hearing me say this and you're thinking of somebody else, is evidence that you are the one that needs to hear this. God opposes the proud, but exalts the humble. Pride is one of those core sins that we all wrestle with. What pride does is it gives us an inflated view of ourselves and it causes us to forget that we are sinners in need of a savior 
every day we draw breath on this earth. So the calling of the Bible is to lose our pride and to gain humility. Humility is not self-deprecation. Humility is a rightful understanding of who I am before a holy, holy, holy God. A sinner who is saved by grace. And when you begin to understand yourself in those terms, all of a sudden, loving the other becomes more natural. Because you cannot sit in judgment over somebody who you understand to be a sinner just as guilty of sin as yourself. Now we're talking. Now we can begin to live agape love. There's another one. This one's going to hurt, church. Truth and grace with the word and capitalized. May I overgeneralize Christians for a quick moment? Is that okay? All right. Christians fall into one of two camps. And I know this is admittedly an overgeneralization. Christians are either all about grace with no truth. And you're just like, hey, it's cool. We're all sinners, so that's fine. You live however you want to live, and you're fine. It's all grace. And the truth of God is, well, I know it's an old book. Culture's changed, and we change. So it's all about grace. Just live how you want to, and everything's fine. Or the other way around. All about truth. I will give you right theology. I have unpacked it all. I've studied it. I have pages and books of notes, and I will tell you what's right and wrong. All about truth and no grace. John chapter 1 talks about Christ being full of grace and truth, holding them in perfect balance. And while we might not be able to live that in perfect balance, part of living out agape love is looking at the other with grace and truth and finding that right balance, but not one instead of the other and the other. Finally, just an invitation. Join us on this journey this summer. If you wanna learn what it means to live out agape love as 1 Corinthians 13 outlines it, this is how we're gonna spend June July and August, we're gonna dig and we're gonna dig deep and learn together as the church how we can better live out a passage that many of us have known for years. Learn to live in the love that God has already shown us. I believe there's a lot for us, not just to learn together, but to begin to live together this summer. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that How do you live this out? Well, some of you need to take that first step to live this out in a way where you are born anew. To tap into the power that the Holy Spirit provides for us means that we must first submit ourselves to Christ, yield our life to him, admit that we're a sinner and receive the gift of God, which is the Holy Spirit. So I invite you to pray with me as I close out this sermon And then after I close out the sermon with a prayer, Pastor Carl's gonna come up and he's gonna lead us into a time of communion so that we can break bread together, that we can fellowship together, and that we can pray together as his church. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for love, the gift of love shown perfectly through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
We thank you for his sacrifice, for his agape love extended to each and every one of us. And Father, you call us to these great works of God. Well, Lord, we recognize that without that love that worked within us, that they're all useless. Father, build love in your church. Continue to build it so that we live it. Father, for those that have never understood the love of God realized within them, I pray right now that you would give them the gift of your Holy Spirit. And if you've never submitted and yielded your life to Christ, just pray this way. Lord, forgive me a sinner. I need you every day I draw breath. I need your love. I need the power of love unleashed in my life so that I can help unleash it to others. So God, I've received Jesus Christ today, the risen Christ, as the Lord of my life and the savior of my life to rule in my life. I give my life to you and I ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. Change me right now, Lord, so I can live as an example of what your love is all about. In your name I pray, amen.